Thank you, choir, orchestra, Sounds of Liberty. Thank you so much for being here. I, I was thinking as I was listening to them today and as I met them earlier, there are a lot of people when I'm out and talking, they will uh, say something about this younger generation and, and uh, how the young people are not committed to the Lord and, and all of that. And yet, as I look at it, some of the finest, most committed Christians I know are some of the young people today, and I think they understand. There, there's not a lot of compromise with the world. You're either for the Lord or you're not, but they understand there's not a lot of compromise. Friday night, we had uh, our children's choir. I sat out there, enjoyed it so much. I thank God for those children. And then uh, Saturday, our youth choir, sang the national anthem at the USC basketball game. I watched them, thank the Lord for them. But thank you so much, all of the young people. I just appreciate you and thank God for you. All right, we're gonna get started in this. One of the lessons that we all have to learn is that we are not omnipotent. There are some things we can't fix. I think we probably first become aware of that within the family relationship. We marry somebody and for 20 years we try to fix them. And finally we come to the conclusion, I'm not gonna be able to do it. And so we simply give up on it, but we realize we can't fix them. Then we become parents and we want to be the perfect parent. We do everything we can to be the perfect parent, but then when the child gets to be about 13 years old, we say, well, I didn't make that one either. <laughs> there are physical illnesses that either we experience or a loved one experiences and we'd like to fix that we'd like to make it right but we can't do that either spiritually I would really like to be what the Lord wants me to be and I know that you would also I really want to be the perfect Christian I'd like to be that but I have to say as did the Apostle Paul those things I don't want to do I find myself doing and those things I want to do I fail to do so we have to understand that we are not omnipotent. There are some things we can't fix, but it is in our weakness that we find his strength. We're looking at the miracles of Jesus, or at least some of the miracles of Jesus. We saw the one where he turned the water into wine, the healing of the nobleman's son, the healing of the paralytic, and today we're going to look at a man who was possessed of demons. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse number 26. And they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he had come onto the land, he was met by a certain man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had not put on any clothing for a long time and was not living in a house, but in the tombs. And seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had been commanding the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard. And yet he would burst his fetters and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they were entreating him 
not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain and the demons entreated him to permit them to enter the swine and he gave them permission. And the demons came out from the man and entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Now as we look at this story, we see first of all a man who was possessed with demons in verse 27 and when he had come onto the land, he was met by a certain man from the city who was possessed with demons. I know that the world tries to make sin seem to be exciting and fun and fulfilling to us. But Jesus here gives us a true picture of what sin is. The man was totally depraved. It says in verse number 30, Jesus asked him, what is your name? He said, legion, for many demons had entered him. He was demonized, totally depraved. Albert Barnes wrote, the name Legion was given to a division in the Roman army. It did not always denote the same number, but in the time of Christ, it consisted of 6,000. It came to signify a large number without specifying the exact amount. So, Whatever the number was, there was a large amount of demons, a large number of demons. The man was demonized. He was depraved and he was defiled. Folks, when our lives are touched by Satan, they're always defiled. This man was defiled. He was demon-possessed. He was defiled by the dead in verse number 27b. The Bible says that he was not living in a house but in the tombs. In Haggai chapter 2, verse number 13, it says that when someone touched the dead, then they were defiled by that. In fact, I was talking with Ronnie, my friend in Israel, and he said that an Orthodox Jew will not drink from a mug because a mug is made of earth and they're not sure where the earth came from. It might have been a cemetery. So they will not drink from a mug, the Orthodox Jew, because they are concerned that they would be defiled by something that touched the dead. This man was defiled. He was possessed by demons. The results of being defiled is a loss of respect. Other people had no respect for him. The Bible says they bound him with chains. So here's a man who was demon-possessed. People didn't have respect for him. He had no respect for himself. The Bible says in Mark 5, 5, he was crying out and gashing himself with stones. He was mutilating his own body. I want you to see this man who is possessed of demons. He is defiled and he has no respect even for himself. He was totally depraved. He was socially incorrigible. Society couldn't help him. His condition worsened. The Bible says in Mark 5, 3, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. The, the Bible usually doesn't give the entire story on anything, and so you fill in some of the blanks. You may be right, you may not be. 
But I, I think we all do that. I do. I look at the story and I think, well, what was this man before he was demon-possessed? I would imagine he had a family. Maybe he had a wife. Perhaps he had children. He had friends. So before he was demon-possessed, here is a man possibly who had what we would call a normal life and now then that is all lost. No family, no friends. He is alone, he is lost. And his rehabilitation is hopeless. The scripture says in verse 29, and yet he would burst his fetters and be driven by the demon into the desert. The efforts to rehabilitate this man did not work. He is no better. Today we try to rehabilitate people who have spiritual problems with human means. In other words, we try to work from the outside in. Someone has a spiritual problem, we want to fix it from the outside in. And the truth is we've not been very successful. For instance, if you have a, a criminal we try to rehabilitate that person through prison. Someone is a criminal, we put them in prison. The idea is, is that they serve their time while they are there, they are rehabilitated, and then they are released and become good and productive citizens. But does it work? Does that work? I looked up the Bureau of Justice Statistics which said that those who have been in federal prison and then are released, 43% are arrested again within five years. For those who have been in state prisons and released, 77% are arrested again within five years. We believe that if someone is a criminal, what we need to do is to re rehabilitate them from the outside in. We put them in prison, we rehabilitate them, we let them out, but the truth is that has not been very productive. We, we think if someone is not living as they should, they are not the citizen that they ought to be, then what they need is education. And so we educate them. We give them self-esteem. But the result is we have smarter people who are still sinners and feel good about themselves. Or we think that we can rehabilitate someone with therapy. If we get them in counseling, if we get them in therapy of some sort, that is going to rehabilitate them without changing the sinful heart. When I look at this man, someone possessed with demons who is totally depraved, socially incorrigible. The people tried to change him. I'm sure he tried to change, but to no avail. And then he saw Jesus. Verse number 28, and seeing Jesus, he cried out. We can look at such a person and see that person as hopeless, but Jesus then appears. He had an erroneous expectation of Jesus in verse number 28. And seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. 
here's a man living among the dead in the cemetery. He has been chained. He has been bound. No one is able to help him. And he sees Jesus and says, Jesus, why have you come to torment me? Vine says the word torment means to torture by beating, to beat to death. Why have you come to torment me? Let me ask you a question. Because my guess is there are some of you who have responded the same way to Jesus. Therefore, you have not given your life to him. You're not following him because, Jesus, why would you come to torment me? If I become a follower of Christ, I'll not ask you to reveal yourself. Just think. Why is it that you have not committed your life to Christ? Or you're not following the Lord fully? Why? Well, because if I do, my life is going to be miserable. I'm going to get up and eat spinach every morning for breakfast. I'm not having any fun anymore. I can't do anything that's fun anymore. And he'll probably call me to be a missionary. My life would be a disaster if I got close to the Lord. See, that's this guy. Here's a guy who is living in the cemetery. Jesus comes by and he says, Jesus, why are you coming to torment me? His expectation was wrong just as ours is because Jesus offers a loving ministry to us. Now he dealt with the cause in verse number 29. For he had been commanding the unclean spirit to come out of the man. As I look at this story about the man living in the cemetery demon possessed. Jesus comes by. Why do you torment me? Why have you come to torment me? Jesus was dealing with him by casting, removing the demon. Now, he could have responded to a physical condition. He could have said, you know what? I've been watching you run around out here. You're naked. Why don't I give you some money and you go get down and get a new suit? Get some clothes. Or I bet you're hungry. You probably haven't had a Big Mac in a long time. Why don't I give you some money to go and get something to eat that you would like? But he didn't deal with the physical needs. He didn't respond to the emotional needs. Jesus could have said, you know, there's got to be something wrong with you. You're living out here in the cemetery. Let me give you the phone number of a good counselor. I think they can talk with you and, and everything is going to be all right. You just need someone to counsel you. But Jesus dealt with what? The spiritual. Because that was the problem. See, his problem was a spiritual problem, thus Jesus dealt with the spiritual problem and he defeated the demon. Look at verse number 32. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain and the demons entreated him to permit them to enter the swine and he gave them permission. And the demons came out from the man and entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. That seems strange to me. I, I thought, why would, why would they do that? The demons asked Jesus, said, you know, you're going to cast me out. Don't, don't send me to the abyss. How about let me go into this herd of swine out here? Why did that happen? I don't have a clue. 
Now, possibly some of you do, and you may be right and you may not, but I don't have a clue as to why that happened. I do have a couple of observations. One is that a man can live with demons, but a hog would rather commit suicide. The second thing, possibly that's where deviled ham came from. I'm not sure. But the demoniac was redeemed in verse number 35, and the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they became frightened. What I want you to see here is that there was total redemption. Jesus totally redeemed this man. Emotionally, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now he had been roving around the cemetery, running through the cemetery. When they came out, he is sitting. There is a spirit of calmness about him. I thought about that. I don't know if it's right or not, but I thought, you know, if that's the problem, maybe that maybe old Blue has a, has a demon, my dog, because he won't sit down. He's always just roaming around the house, you know, biting on Linda, you know, doing all those things, looking for something to eat, but he never sits down. Well, that was this man. He never sat down. But Jesus came by and he ministered to him emotionally. There he is sitting, clothed. Verse number 27 says he had not put on any clothing for a long time. He's running through the cemetery naked, hasn't worn clothing for a long time. One of the things that I have noticed is that the further someone gets from Christ, the less clothes they wear. <laughs> you know, sometimes there will be someone, and we hear their story, they, they, uh, they grow up in the church, and they sang in the choir, and they, they, they did all those things, and then the next thing you know, they have become a celebrity, they are singing, they are popular, they're singing, and, and, and we were happy for it. I'm sure, well, that's wonderful. But then as time goes by, I notice that in their performance, they're almost naked because they're trying to be relevant. They're trying to stay current. And I think, what happened? Well, that's what happens. This man becomes aware of modesty. But the further we get from Jesus, the less modest we become. He dealt with his emotional needs. He was sitting. He dealt with his physical needs. He was clothed, and he dealt with his spiritual needs. He was in his right mind. That literally means a sound mind, and it is Jesus who gives us a sound mind. You've read the story, as have I, about the prodigal son. He went out into the world, and he sinned. He did all of the things that he did, and then we see him as he's in the pig pen, eating with the pigs. And the Bible says, and he came to his senses and said, I will arise and go to my father. It is God who gives us a right mind or a sound mind. So he saw Jesus. Now the townspeople came out to see him. Verse number 35. And the people went out to see what had happened. 
They wanted to see what had happened. They had heard. They wanted to see, and they made a judgment to it. Now, their response to the demoniac is not what we would expect it to be. First of all, it was a matter of discussion. Went out to see literally means to be a spectator, to theorize. So here are the townspeople coming out. They've heard about this man now. They, they come out to see him, and rather than rejoicing that his life has been changed, they discuss what has happened. They theorize what has happened. Isn't that the guy who used to be out here in the cemetery, running around naked? What happened to him? I don't even know. Maybe he's been out there for years. So he became the object of discussion rather than the object of celebration. They, you would think that they would celebrate. They'd been trying to rehabilitate him. They'd been trying to help him, not successfully, and now then here he is sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, but he became the object of discussion for them. And then it says in verse number 35 that they were frightened. They were frightened at what they saw. You know, um, when something happens that we don't understand, it scares us sometimes, does it not? When God does something in our lives, in someone else's life, and I don't fully understand it, then we are fearful. We become afraid. I think there was another concern in verse number 33. The demons came out from the man, entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. I think probably there was some thought that if he stays around, if Jesus stays around, we might lose some more hogs. There might be a cost involved if Jesus stays around. Isn't that the reason sometimes that we are fearful of committing our lives to Christ and really living our life for him? There might be a cost involved. He might want me to do something. I never planned to be a preacher. I mean, that, that's, that, I didn't grow up thinking I was going to be a preacher, and I had another career before this. And sure enough, I got close to the Lord. Next thing I know, I'm preaching. You might be scared that's what will happen to you. I saw Rick Thomas a while ago. He said, I like your book. If you could condense your sermons to that same length, that'd be a lot better. <laughs> Their response to the demoniac was not what you would expect. Their response to Jesus was even more perplexing. Look at verse 37. And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him to depart from them, for they were, were gripped with great fear, and he got into a boat and returned. They were more concerned about losing their hogs than the healing of the demonized man. Barnes said the people of the city probably came with the view of arresting him for the injury done to the property, and so they asked him to leave, and he did. I believe that that same principle is probably still true today. That if you don't want Jesus around, he's gentleman enough to leave. I think that happens to some churches. 
when a church rejects the word of God, then the living word of God leaves. I've been in churches before where there's just nothing to suggest the Lord was there. I went to church, went on vacation once, and the pastor got up and preached a sermon on recycling. I thought, I should have stayed home. <laughs> Folks, when a church doesn't want Jesus to be the Lord, Jesus can leave. When a nation decides that it does not want Jesus, then Jesus would leave. That's the burden that many of us have, and I would imagine that you do about our, our country, because we have largely replaced Jesus with secularism. Our country was founded on the Word of God, but today if you believe the same thing that our founding fathers believed, then you're said to be out of the mainstream, that you're a fringe, you're a wingnut, there's something wrong with you. If you believe what our founding fathers believed, and the concern that many have and have had and, and have been praying about is, is, Lord, send us revival. Turn our hearts back to you because if we don't, then I think the Lord leads. That's also true, I think, with individuals. I believe that the Spirit of God can deal in your heart, convict you of sin, and draw you to Christ. But there comes a time, the Bible says, when you can harden your heart against the Lord. That's the reason the Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Folks, I could not emphasize strongly enough to you that when God speaks to your heart, be obedient to him. Keep your heart tender and sensitive to the Lord that you hear the Lord when he speaks to you. The townspeople wanted him to leave. The demoniac wanted to stay and Jesus sent him away in verse number 38. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him, but he sent him away. The demoniac just wanted to stay with Jesus. He wanted to stay there, wanted to be with Jesus. Many of you are that way also. I know that when we get to the end of the service, and by the way, we're close to the end, about three minutes away. When we get to the end of the service, extend the invitation for a lot. That's, you know, that is, oh, we got to get out of here so we can get to our cars first so they leave. But then there's also a lot of other people. They just hang around. They're up here talking, just hanging around. Why? Because they just like to be where the Lord has been worshipped. They like to be with the people who worship the Lord. And so they're like this man. They wanted to stay. But you see... We have a responsibility. So Jesus says in verse 39, return to your house and describe what great things has done for you. Jesus said to him, said, no, I understand. You'd like to stay at church all day, but you can't. You need to go on home and tell them what I've done in your life. See, that's the call. That's what we're to do. It's, it's wonderful for us to come and worship the Lord and enjoy each other and sing praises to his name and do all those things. But he says, now you, you need to go on home. And tell them what great things has been done in your life. You and I have been called by the Lord to go home. 
tell your families about what Jesus has done in your life. Your students, go to school. Tell your friends what Jesus has done in your life. I know some of you would get in trouble, but if you go to jail, these deacons will bail you out. You need to go to work and tell what great things the Lord has done in your life. And he was obedient, verse number 39 continues, and he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. He went away telling people what Jesus had done. He wanted to stay with Jesus, just stay right there and enjoy it. But the Lord said, no, you need to go home. Tell the people there what great things I've done in your life, and the Bible says that he did. That's what you and I are to do. Ladies and gentlemen, without Jesus, we're like the man in the tomb, out in the cemetery, spiritually dead. But just as Jesus changed him, so he can change you if you let him, if you're willing to commit your life to him. You'll change your life. Our Father in God, we come to you at this time thanking you for the story, for the miracle that is available to us. And Father, as we extend this invitation, I pray that people would respond to the grace, to the love, to the mercy of the Lord Jesus, in whose name I pray, amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand, extend an invitation, the choir will sing. If you've never trusted Christ, I, I invite you today. I, I pray that you will come today. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. The staff will be here to receive you. Stand with me, please. As you stand, they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do. Amen.